0: In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. heart unto my lips, Almighty God, that I may proclaim your gospel worthily. The Lord will be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. The chief priests and the scribes and the elders sent to Jesus some Pharisees, and some Herodians, to catch him out in what he said. These came and said, Master. We know you are an honest man, that you are not afraid of anyone, because a man's rank means nothing to you, and that you teach the way of God in all honesty. Is it permissible to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay, yes or no? Seeing through their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why do you set this trap for me? Hand me a denarius and let me see it. They handed him one, and he said, Whose head is this? Whose name? Caesar's, they told him. Jesus said to them, Give back to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, and to God what belongs to God. This reply took them completely by surprise. The Gospel of the Lord. The religious authorities, enraged by our Lord's stinging parable of the wicked tenants, which was obviously targeted at them, now sends a contingent to wreak vengeance against him. What strange bedfellows! The group was made up of Pharisees and Herodians, who would not just merely avoid each other in social circles, but viewed each other as the enemy. Our Lord, ironically, brings them together. They present a debacle to the Lord for his solution. Would he advocate paying the Roman tax? Now both the Herodians and the Pharisees had opposing positions on this. The Herodians guarded and maintained their position and power precisely by seeking the patronage of the Roman Empire which would include helping the latter collect the tax from their own people. The Pharisees, on the other hand, were purists. They would have taken a more populist position in resisting this tax, because it was a visible sign of their humiliating subjugation, and more so because they viewed it as sacrilegious since the Roman coinage had an image of Caesar, and an accompanying inscription which declared His divine lordship over his subjects. So whichever way our lord weighed in on the topic, it would seem that the lord had only two options. They gave him only two options, yes or no. So whichever way he went, he would get in trouble with one faction or the other. Well, this was the ultimate design of this hypothetical question to either get our Lord in trouble with the imperial authorities and be accused of sedition, or lose the popular support of the people. They thought that they had found the perfect question to trap our Lord in an inescapable dilemma. But our Lord sees through their subterfuge and calls them out. He turns the table on them by asking them two questions of his own. First. He asked them to produce the coin. That was a trap that he had laid for them. The fact that they were in possession of the coin is concrete proof that they were already using it, which meant they implicitly recognized the authority of Caesar. Jesus would ask them two questions. Whose head is this? Whose name? And his retractors immediately answers without skipping a beat. Caesar's. The quick answer Betrays the fact that they already had the answer and they have made up their minds without even waiting for our Lord's reply. Our Lord then spells it out clearly give back to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and to God what belongs to God. His answer comes as a shock because St. Mark records that his audience was completely surprised by his reply. They were expecting one of two answers. We should either pay the tax and be hated by the people for being a Roman collaborator, or reject the text and be declared an insurgent? The answer which our Lord gives is not to be confused with the modern concept of separation of church and state, which argues that both religion and government have their own respective jurisdictions, and neither should intrude into the sphere of the other, nor should they interfere with each other's prerogatives. Rather, the Lord's statement calls into question certain fundamental assumptions. Are rights derived from government, which is from men, or inalienable rights derived from God? Does the government have absolute rights and authority over its subjects, or are those rights and authority also conferred by God? Thus, our Lord was reminding them, that though we may owe obedience and accountability to legitimate human authority, this is not in opposition, nor is it in contradiction to our obligations and obedience to God. In fact, both Caesar and subject are equally accountable to God and should render to God what is ultimately his due. Thus, the state may lay claim to a paltry piece of metal because it bears its image. God lays claim to our whole being, mind, heart, soul and strength since we are made in the image and likeness of God. Our obligation to the state which is limited is subsumed under our obligation to God which is absolute. What is implied in our law's generalisation is this. Do not give to Caesar, to the state, to society or to any human institution what belongs to God alone and to His Son, which is your absolute, unconditional allegiance and devotion. As the Catholic Catechism reminds us, submission to authority and co-responsibility for the common good make it morally obligatory to pay taxes, to exercise the right to vote, and to defend one's country. However, the Catechism continues, The citizen is obliged in conscience not to follow the directives of civil authorities when they are contrary to the demands of the moral order, to the fundamental rights of persons, or the teachings of the Gospel. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.